0: Several years ago, we had a family in our church who had moved here from a major city, one of the largest cities in the country, in fact. And they came to San Angelo. They deliberately picked it out because they were looking for a better life for themselves and for their children. And they wanted a small city. They wanted a, a smaller community. And, and so they, uh, they came to our church they were Christians, they were followers of Christ, but they hadn't been saved for too long. They were new Christians, so they were still learning a lot about God, about the Bible. And uh, so we got to know them and became involved in our church. And when I discovered that the husband liked to build things, he, he liked to build things with his hands, he liked to do some woodwork and such, I asked him if he would build us, build our church, an altar. Well, he had no idea what I was talking about when I said, would you build us an altar? He's like, what's that? And uh, so I thought, well, okay, let me just describe. So I described what I wanted. I knew what I wanted. I described it for him and he looked at me and he said, you want me to build a bench? Why don't you just call it a bench? I was like, oh, well, I, I, guess, I guess it is a bench. But see, that's when I realized that our, our backgrounds are very different. I grew up in church and I, you know, Pentecostal church. I, I knew what an altar was and he didn't grow up as a Christian he came to know the Lord as an adult. He had no idea what I was talking about. To me, an altar was a place to meet God at the front of the church. To him, as a brand new Christian, it was a bench, which is what it is. You know, that's, that's what it was. You know, It was a bench, but in most Pentecostal churches, it was a padded bench. Not padded for you to sit on, but padded for you to lean on when you, when you knelt to pray. That's what we came to know as an altar. Well, this morning we start a new series that I'm really excited about. This series is called The Altar. The Altar. And it's a series about encountering God. And it's called The Altar because in the Old Testament, an altar was essentially a place where God's people met God. But it wasn't just a a praying bench. It wasn't just a bench, padded or not. Which, by the way, we still have those. He did build our, our, our benches. They're still at the might have seen them at our other location in Coberland. But uh, in the Old Testament, the altar was a place where God's people made sacrifices for their sin. Or maybe it was a place where they remembered. It was a, it was a memorial to remember something that God had, had done in the past. It was a unique place where, where God interacted with humans. It's where people would go to consecrate themselves to God. In other words, it's where people would go to find forgiveness for their sins and to devote their lives to God. In the Old Testament, an altar could be made of stone or wood, and the earliest altars are simply mounds of dirt, but then some of them were made with stone, wood, even even metal of some kind. In the New Testament, the ultimate altar was the cross. And the ultimate sacrifice was Jesus dying on the cross. And so as Christians now, we don't have to have an Old Testament type of altar where we make animal sacrifices anymore. But we are to, Paul told the Romans, we are to offer our lives as living sacrifices to God. And uh, the animal sacrifices in the Old Testament weren't needed. In fact, they were, they, they were simply a, a prediction of what was to come in complete fulfillment through Christ. So that was the Old Testament altar. It it was a place to meet God, and um, I read something very interesting in the Book of Isaiah that I want us to read this morning, Isaiah nineteen. I read this and uh, something caught my attention in verse nineteen, Isaiah nineteen nineteen. So I want I want us to read that, and we'll, we'll read all the way to verse twenty two. Isaiah nineteen nineteen reads like this: In that day, there will be an altar to the Lord in the heart of Egypt. And a monument to the Lord at its border. It will be a sign and witness to the Lord Almighty in the land of Egypt. See how it makes that emphasis again. It says it in verse 19, it's an altar to the Lord in the heart of Egypt. Verse 20, in the land of Egypt. When they cry out to the Lord because of their oppressors, He will send them a Savior and Defender and He will rescue them. So the Lord will make Himself known to the Egyptians And in that day, they will acknowledge the Lord. They will worship with sacrifices and grain offerings. They will make vows to the Lord and keep them. Now, this is what the Israelites would normally do. They would acknowledge God. They would worship God with sacrifices, with grain offerings. They would make vows to the Lord. But now we're reading that the Egyptians would do that. Then verse 22 says, The Lord will strike Egypt with a plague. He will strike them and heal them. They will turn to the Lord and He will respond to their pleas and heal them. Now I find this very interesting because Egypt was one of Israel's most significant enemies during the days of Moses. Enemies, not friends, not allies, enemies. That's why verse 19 just jumps out at me. In that day, there will be an altar to the Lord in the heart of of Egypt. An altar to the Lord. Now, first of all, in the Old Testament, pagan nations like Egypt would build altars to their false gods. So it wasn't, it wasn't so unusual. It wasn't unusual at all for there to be an altar in the heart of Egypt. But this is an altar to the Lord in the heart of Egypt. And then the, the verses we read after that indicate how Egypt would acknowledge to him and turn uh, acknowledge God rather and turn to him with sacrifices and grain offerings and vows. I find that amazing and 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 really is speaking something very important to us today. An altar to the Lord in the heart of Egypt. Now previous verses in the same chapter describe the condition of Egypt at this time and it was a dreadful condition. It was a dreadful description. There was a rampant sin there was despair. There was pride. And all this brought about a terrible and debilitating drought on their land, in which their natural resources were being uh, were very scarce or were being sucked away. In fact, an earlier part in this chapter, Egypt is described as a drunkard staggering around in his vomit. That's the description of Egypt at that time. A drunkard staggering around in his vomit. And in the middle of all this, an altar to the Lord in the heart of a drunkard staggering around in all his vomit. How is that possible? Now, I think this is significant for us today because I believe that Egypt is not unlike our society and culture today. I think there are some some comparisons morally speaking between Egypt, the Egypt we read about, in the scriptures, and in particular in this chapter of Isaiah and today's culture. Uh, in fact, it's not uh, unlike our very own community here in San Angelo in the Concho Valley. Egypt was a godless society. And the status of our society today, we know well, is increasingly, increasingly godless. We live in the middle of a society that accepts sin, the most, even the most perverted type of sin, as normal and acceptable behavior, and even celebrates it. It's a sinful society that, that creates a hostile atmosphere for Christians. There's a hostile atmosphere for Christianity today. So there might be a temptation for us to say, oh, it's, it's us against the world, and we're going to fight against the world. We're going to fight against the culture, we're going to preach, we're going to rail against the culture, and we're going, to, we're going to build these bunkers, and we're going to just protect our children, and we're going to protect ourselves, and just, just throw out lobs, all kinds of criticism, because they're evil, and we're God's people, and we're not going to interact. That might be the temptation, but just like in Egypt, I believe God is calling us to build an altar in the middle of this sinful world. Not to retreat, not to hide, but to build an altar in the middle of a a drunkard staggering around in his vomit. So really my big idea for this series is, is this. San Angelo needs an altar, a place to meet God, and God is calling us to build it. I believe that. San Angelo needs an altar, a place to meet God, and God is calling us to build it. I believe that we as a church are to provide a place for people to meet God. This is our calling as a church, to help people find God. That's a mission of our church, to help people find God. Not in the sense of God is lost and we've got to find Him. No, not in the sense of finding something that's lost, but in the sense of discovering. When you find something, like you discover something. We want to be a place where, where people can discover God, can find out about God and His love and His power. We're called to build an altar in the middle of San Angelo. We need to be altar builders because our city needs an altar. Our community needs an altar where they can meet God. Your friends, your family that are like staggering around in, in confusion and deception in their lives. They need an altar where they can meet God. People in our city need to meet God. And we're called to help them do that. But what does, what does our church, I mean, think about this, what does our church have to offer a godless society What do we have to offer? Do we have a lot of money? Do we have great facilities? Do we have a a great uh, preacher? I mean, what do we have? We have nothing to offer this community other than God. What can we offer San Angelo? An altar. We can't offer them loads and loads of resources and money and facilities, but we can offer an altar, and that's what they need. That's what they need. Without an altar, we... As a church, really have nothing else of eternal value to offer. Now, when I say we need to build an altar, obviously I'm not referring to a praying bench. I'm not referring to an Old Testament altar made of stone or wood or earth. I'm referring to a place where people can meet God. I'm referring to an opportunity and an invitation. For people to come to Jesus. I'm referring to a place where if somebody walks in through those doors during a time of worship, they would say, I feel something. I sense something. And I've had people say that to me, not often enough, I'm afraid, but I've had people say uh, that to me. I had one gentleman tell me one time, Oh, every time I go to your church, just the, the, the tugging that I feel. And he says, and he, was, he knew enough to know, I just it's like the Holy Spirit is tugging at my heart. That's what we need to to have in this place where when people come in, they see a a group of people that are singing from their hearts and lifting their voices and lifting their hands instead of yawning and looking around and looking at their phones. We need an altar for this city. So what I want to do in this series is I want to talk about four different altars that we Need to build here in San Angelo. But as we learn about these altars in the land of Egypt, in the middle, in the heart of Egypt, let us remember first that we need to come to these altars ourselves before we can invite our friends and our families to come. We need to come to these altars that I'm going to be talking about. The first one I want to talk about this week is the altar of repentance. Next week, we'll talk about the altar of holiness. We're going to talk about the altar of of worship. And uh, then we're going to talk about the altar of commission. But today, I want to talk to you about the altar of repentance. Because if we want to do the work of God here in our community, we need to build an altar of repentance first. If we want to get God's work done here in San Angelo... We've got to start by building an altar of repentance. If we're going to have revival, we need to build the altar of repentance. Everything else beyond that is just fluff if we don't have the altar of repentance. So I want to talk to you about repentance today, my remaining time. There's a story that Jesus told that explains repentance to us in what I believe is a clear and compelling way. And this story is found in Matthew 21. Matthew 21, 28. Jesus says this, what do you think? There was a man who had two sons. He went to the first and said, son, go and work today in the vineyard. I will not, he answered. But later he changed his mind and went. Then the father went to the other son and said the same thing. He answered, I will, sir. But he did not go. Which of the two did what his father wanted? The first they answered. Now he's talking to the religious leaders. The first, they answered, Jesus said to them, truly I tell you, listen to this, truly I tell you, the tax collectors and the prostitutes are entering the kingdom of God ahead of you. How many of you know that didn't go over really well with the religious leaders at that time? When he said, tax collectors and prostitutes are entering the kingdom of God ahead of you. For John came to you to show you the way of righteousness, and you did not believe him, but the tax collectors and the prostitutes did And even after you saw this, you did not, what? Did not repent and believe him. Right? So in this parable, the father had a vineyard. He needed some workers. So he went to the first son and told him to go into the vineyard. But the son was rude and he just flat out said, I won't go. No, I won't. I won't go. That that word just to say no. Remember years ago, my wife and I were in Corpus and uh, I wasn't working with the youth, but I would kind of help out with the, with the youth. And so we were at a youth service, and there was a young man. He was a youth president, and so he was leading the service. And uh, back then, people who were leading the service would just call out any, anybody out in the congregation to lead a prayer. Remember those days? Like, like if we were doing that today, I might say, uh, I'm going to ask Sharon to lead us in prayer. Right? Everybody bow your head, and Sharon starts praying. Right? I mean, it was just... Tina's going to lead us in prayer now, okay? It was just done that way. Well, so this young man asked this girl, I'm going to ask so-and-so to lead us in prayer to open the service. And so we all bowed our heads and nothing. It was like silent. I'm like, she's taking her time. She's gathering her thoughts. But then it went on. It was silent. So I looked up at the guy, and the guy's looking at the girl going like, the girl's going like, and she just refused to pray. I forget. I I guess he led his own prayer. Maybe he asked somebody else. But it just kind of surprised me. Like, who says no to leading a prayer in church? You know, it's just expected. right? So the son said no to the father. But then he changed his mind, Jesus said, and he went to work after all. So the father went to the second son and told him the same thing. And the second son, now the second son didn't say no. He was very respectful He was compliant, and he said, yes, sir, I'll go. But then he didn't go. So look at the contrast here. At first glance, the first son appears to be the rebellious, independent-minded, defiant one in the family. I won't do what you tell me. You can't tell me what to do. The second son is a good son. He's the kind of son we would want today in our culture, and certainly in that culture. Well-mannered, compliant. We we want that, that kind of Son, right? We want those uh, kinds of children who always say, Yes, sir, yes, ma'am. That's a contrast. But then Jesus brings his listeners into the story. Jesus is a great teacher. He brings his listeners into the story by asking them, Which of the two sons did what the father wanted? And the religious leaders, I mean, they, they were smart. They answered correctly. They said, The first son. Which is a correct answer. But in in answering that, they set themselves up for what Jesus said when he said, Truly I tell you, the tax collectors and the prostitutes are entering the kingdom of God ahead of you. And now they they didn't like this. He told them, because when John came to you, you didn't believe him. But the tax collectors and prostitutes did. Even after you saw this, you still didn't repent and believe him. Oh, this would have... Shocked and angered these men. How dare, how dare Jesus say that the most hated people, the tax collectors, and the most disgusting people, the prostitutes, would enter the kingdom of God ahead of them. I mean, they weren't even allowed to enter the synagogue. And he's saying they're going to enter the kingdom of God ahead of you. What's going on here? Well, the first son did what the father wanted, even though... he. Initially, he was rebellious. The second son was a well-mannered, compliant one. But it turns out, it was all an outward show. So just what Jesus is saying, just like the defiant son ended up pleasing the father after all, even though initially he said no, but then he changed his mind. He went, so the tax collectors and prostitutes, the defiant sinners... Ended up doing what the father wanted. And the religious leaders, the second son, the religious leaders were outwardly devoted to God. And yes, sir, but inwardly they rejected Jesus. Now, what was the difference in the two? The difference was repentance. Jesus is talking about repentance. Because look look at verse 29. The, The first son repented of his defiance. He repented of his disobedience. Verse 29 He answered, I will not. But later he changed his mind and went. That is a clear description of repentance. He changed his mind and he went. That's repentance. Because repentance is a change of mind that leads to a change of direction. A change of mind that leads to a change of direction. He changed his mind. And he went. He didn't just say, you know what, I guess I messed up. I should have said yes. Oh, well, it's too late. No, that's not repentance. He could have said, oh, now the father's not going to give me my inheritance or now he's whatever consequences. Well, that's not repentance. That's just remorse. Repentance is when you, when you change your mind and then you follow through. Then you go. So it's a, a change of mind that leads to a change of direction. Repentance is is a 180, literally a 180. You're you don't you're not going in one direction and then kind of veer off a little bit and call that repentance. Like, you, I, at least I'm not headed toward wrong. I'm a little bit this way. No, you turn around, you go the opposite direction. I had an image in my mind this week as I was thinking about this message. But when I was in, in high school, I was in a marching band. I played the tuba in the marching band. Great, great years of my life. And uh, we were at... Uh, and I want to say, it might have been a football game, but I want to say it was actual, actually a UIL contest. So we're being judged, competition. And I'm marching with my tuba. I'm going, I'm going down you know, the field, football field. And I look up, and I see another band member coming. He turns, and he comes right at me, right at me. And for a split second, I forgot what I was supposed to do. I was like, oh, no. One of us has to move. Right? So I'm I'm marching. I'm doing this, and he's coming this way, and I'm like, what do I do? And it just lasted a you know, second. And then it came to me, it's like, and then I made, yeah, I, my, my part was to do an about face. So I was like, oh, okay, that's right. That's what I'm supposed to be doing, and he went the other way too. You know? So we got real close to each other, almost had a head on, head on collision. But that's repentance. You make an about face. You make a 180. Now, repentance is important because repentance is a forgotten aspect of salvation. So many times we say to people, oh, just, just say this prayer. You're saved. Well, you know, it, a lot of times it, that, that prayer is, is an important part of, of, of the salvation experience. But let's not forget repentance. There is no salvation without repentance. There has to be repentance before there is salvation. And by the way, this is good news that there is no salvation without repentance because it means that it doesn't matter how sinful your past might be or how many wrong decisions you've made or how deeply uh, your decisions have hurt you and maybe wrong decisions have hurt your family. When you repent and believe in Jesus, you're able to enter the kingdom of God just like the younger brother who initially said no to his father. But then he changed his mind and he went. In fact, Jesus is saying, you'll get in ahead of the people who are devoted to the religious activities. You'll get in ahead of the people that are very religious, very devout, but they don't think that they need to repent of anything because they're so religious. Their lack of repentance shows they don't really believe. Because there's another great truth. And this is for us today. Being religious can keep us from repenting. Being a religious person... Being devoted to religious activities. Oh, I go to church. I pray. I give my tithe. If we begin to trust in those things, instead of trusting in God and, and Jesus sacrificing the cross. If we think that because we send in an offering because we did something good that somehow we're covered, then we don't feel a need to repent. The religious leaders were very proud of their position. They had a position of authority over the, peop- over the people. They were proud of their knowledge of the law. They were proud of being stewards of the scriptures. But Jesus knew it was all an outward show. He says, on the outside, you look, you're like a grave. On the outside, everything's nice and pretty. But on the inside, you're filled with dead men's bones. In- inwardly, their hearts were corrupt and, and sinful. Now, we've got we've to pray for the spirit of religion to be broken here in San Angelo. Because how many of you know that, that there are many people here in our city that are very religious, but they're not saved. They're very religious, but they're not following God. They know about religion. They know about the religious activities, but they haven't repented of their sin. They can bow their heads and close their eyes when a public prayer is said might even know the, the words to, uh, to a hymn or to a worship song. But they haven't repented. So we've got to pray for the spirit of religion to be broken here in San Angelo. And I believe it's got to start with us. Because we also can be deceived into thinking that our religious activities mean that we have nothing of which we need to repent. So people in San Angelo, us included... Here in the heart of, St. Angelo, here in the heart of Egypt, are just like the Pharisees. Their, Their religion, the Pharisees' religion, kept them from being aware of their need for repentance, their need for forgiveness. They saw no need to repent of anything. I don't think I need to repent of anything. You know, as long as they were fulfilling their religious duties and performing their religious activities, they thought they were covered. But being religious, being devoted to religious acts, can keep us from. Repenting because it, it allows, us, allows us to trust in our activities rather than to trust in Jesus. And Jesus was making the contrast with them. He says, that's not the case with the tax collectors and the, and the prostitutes. They believed in Jesus and they repented of their sin. Remember Zacchaeus? Zacchaeus was a crooked tax collector. But he made things right when he met Jesus. He gave away half of his wealth to the poor and he returned the money he had stolen fourfold. That's why Jesus said of Zacchaeus, today salvation has come to this house. Remember Matthew? Matthew, before he was a disciple of Jesus, was a a tax collector. But, you know, tax collectors that were hated and despised. But he left everything behind, all the money, all the fringe benefits. And there were many fringe benefits to being a tax collector. He left them all behind to follow Jesus. Remember the woman who anointed Jesus' feet with expensive Perfume as a sign of her devotion, her belief in Jesus. But before that, before she did the anointing, she wept at his feet. So much so, the Bible says that her tears fell at his feet and she wiped her tears off of his feet with her hair. Well, the men in the the room recognized her as a sinner in the community. They recognized her as a prostitute in the heart of that city. But at that moment, her repentance led her to her salvation. So the hated tax collectors, the despised prostitutes, repented and were saved because there is no salvation without repentance. And we we need to establish an altar of repentance here in San Angelo. That our church should be an altar of repentance where we repent daily where we repent regularly, where we recognize that we have failed God, that we have hurt God, and where we're not afraid when the Holy Spirit convicts us, whether through someone's words or or just directly convicts us of our sin. We're not offended that somebody calls our attention to something we're doing wrong, but we repent of that. That is the ambiance. That is a culture that, that I think we need to create here in our church an altar of repentance. So when people come, they understand repentance. They're able to repent of their sin and receive salvation. Now as I, as I finish today, I want to go back to Isaiah 19. Because I want to read verse 21 once again. Now I want you to look, look at your, your Bibles. Because I want you to look at this with me. Because what, what God was saying through this prophecy was that there would be... An altar in the heart of Egypt. And then he, he goes on to describe the new Egypt. An Egypt who has been to the altar. In this case, the altar of repentance. So I want, I want to rewrite, if I may, Isaiah 19.21 for our situation today. You ready? Here's how it reads. And this is my, my application. So the Lord will make himself known... To the San Angeloans. And in that day, they will acknowledge the Lord. They will worship with sacrifices of praise and with tithes and offerings. They will make vows to the Lord and keep them. Now, what I want you to see is I want you to have a vision of people in San Angelo coming to God. People in San Angelo. When God makes himself known to people here, St. Angeloans. I want you to have a vision of people in St. Angelo, your friends, your co-workers, your family members, acknowledging God. I want you to picture them here in this place, worshiping God with sacrifices of praise. I want you to picture them sitting here with hands lifted up, singing to God, maybe with tears coming down their face as they as they recall what God has brought them to. As they think, I used to be a drunkard staggering around in my vomit, and now look where I am. I'm able to lift my hands to God and worship Him. I am forgiven. I want you to picture that because just like just like God in the middle of a corrupt Egypt was prophesying about a new Egypt. He wants us to see a new San Angelo, worshiping God with sacrifices of praise, with tithes and offerings, which is a—it's a, a powerful way of worshiping God. They will make—I love this last part—they will make vows to the Lord. And keep them. We're talking about leading people to such a strong relationship with God that their commitment goes beyond just making a New Year's resolution. It's about making vows to the Lord and keeping them. San Angelo needs an altar of repentance, a place to meet God for the forgiveness of their sins. But how do we build it? By repenting ourselves, by living in repentance. No pride, no pride when someone else falls morally. When you hear the news that somebody was caught in a sin, no pride, no saying, oh, that idiot. Oh, I can't believe, you know, he's such a hypocrite. No pride, but living in repentance ourselves, no self-righteous judging. How do we build it? By praying, by inviting those that need repentance to come to Jesus. And if you invite someone to come to Jesus, if you invite someone to come to church, why do you want to invite them to come see you? Be bored to come see you yawning to come see you be distracted by your phone. No, we want to invite them to come see you worshiping God, to come see you repenting before God. Bring them with you to worship on Sundays, but come uh, bring them with you so that they can come see you worship with a repented heart. San Angelo needs an altar. Let's build an altar for San Angelo. San Angelo needs an altar of repentance. Let's build an altar of repentance for San Angelo and let it start with us today. Would you bow for prayer as we, as we turn the corner and, and begin to devote some time now for prayer and for response. Let's ask God, first of all, God, what does this mean to me? How does this apply to me directly? Maybe you need to repent. Maybe you, maybe you 're like the first son. Maybe initially you said no to God. want nothing to do with church I don 't want need to go to church. I don 't need to be there I don 't need to serve God, but now you 've changed your mind, and now it 's time to act on that decision. Or maybe you're like the, the second son who you're trusting in the fact that you 're a longtime member religious activities. It doesn't matter who you, who you are, who we are. We need, to, we need to repent today. Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you for the challenge of your word. We don't, we don't want to retreat because you're not calling us to retreat. We're not a church so that we can hide, so we can simply have some bless me gatherings. We're a church so we can reach others. We're a church so we can build an altar here in the middle of a sinful society. San Angelo needs an altar, Father, because my friends need an altar. San Angelo needs an altar because we have family members that need you. They need an altar of repentance today. So today, Lord, we we humble ourselves. We say, we're sorry. I'm sorry, God, for the times that I made being a Christian about me. I'm sorry for the times that I was too tired or too lazy or too distracted to be able to truly surrender my life to you. But today, Lord, I want to say to you, use me, Father, to build an altar. Use my life as insignificant as I may think it, it is. Use my life in spite of my past failures. Use my life to build an altar. That we together would build an altar as a church would build an altar to help people find God, to help people find you. We come to you in humility and in surrender today. In Jesus' name. Stand with us as we worship God together, and we'll continue with our time of
1: For a drink from the well, Jesus is calling. Oh, come to the altar, the father's arms are open wide. Forgiveness was born with the precious blood of Jesus Christ. The Father's arms are open wide Forgiveness was bought with The precious blood of Jesus Christ who come to the altar The Father's arms are open wide Forgiveness was bought with The precious blood of Jesus Christ. is risen oh what a